Welcome to the podcast, Potables Network. You're listening to Power Bombs and Potables, brought to you by the Andrew Boss team at Berkshire Hathaway. Please make sure to subscribe to the podcast, leave a five star rating and review on Apple Podcasts. You can follow us on Twitter at Power Bombs PPN for pro wrestling news and talk. You can also follow us on Instagram and Untapped at Process Potables. Check out our other shows. Of course, the the main Process Potables had a great hour and 45-minute podcast on last week with Marty Teller just talking about the Sixers and what can they do to make that team progress going forward with all the uh, changes. And by that, I mean only a coaching change. Uh, no front office changes within that group. Our weekly uh, MMA podcast, uh, Punches and Potables, as well as... Uh, Post-game portables, our Eagles uh, post-game that we do right after the game. That's myself, Dan, and Steve, of course, for news, blog posts, uh, info on breweries. If you've worked with them more, check out www.processpotables.com. Well, I waited an extra night to put out this podcast so we could get the full WWE draft. We're going to break it down and what I liked and what I hated about it on this week's Super Power Bombs and Potables. Welcome to this week's edition of Power Bombs and Potables, part of the podcast Potables Network. My name is Corey Oates, and I am your host. Every single week, I go over the things that I liked. A lot of stuff this week that I didn't like. We're going to break it down for you uh, on this week's episode. We have two weeks where the Monday Night Raw things to talk about. Not really much last week as we've moved on to a new week, but there's a thing or two that I will be able to touch upon with that and then everything else from Impact to AEW NXT. And uh, and then some. So we're going to start off with the draft and the things that I liked and maybe the things that I don't get and, and didn't like. Not going to necessarily break down any order. I'm going to break down the rosters of where people ended up. Now, remember, this was only between Raw and SmackDown. The last time they did a draft was, um, well, it was, I believe, this time last year, right as they were launching NXT on Wednesday nights. And they were launching Fox with SmackDown. So you had one week of Fox on SmackDown. Then week two, they went right into these roster changes. And they set up specific rosters for those shows. Uh, This year, we're going to, I guess, try and shake that up. But now nobody gives a fuck about NXT, I guess, because they kept them uh, out of this one. Uh, Raw's roster at this point, the rules for this, by the way, were because Raw's a three-hour show. And SmackDown's a two-hour show. For every two picks SmackDown gets, Raw gets three. And they were doing this by round. So pretty much they were working it into segments where after one match, then Stephanie McMahon, who was the one who was doing all the announcements, came out and, and did five picks at a time. Whether that be, you know, 
an individual, a tag team, a group, uh, whatnot. So Raw's roster going forward starting next week is going to look like this. The WWE champion Drew McIntyre stays on that show. Uh, Bobby Lashley, the entire and the whole Hurt business. Uh, so that mean, meaning uh, Arch, uh, not Arch, uh, MVP. Cedric Alexander, Shelton Benjamin as well. They are all on the roster still. Uh, the 42-time 24-7 champion, R-Truth. AJ Styles moves back from SmackDown, which is interesting because they just moved him over there. Uh, the Fiend, Bray Wyatt, comes over from SmackDown, which is a whole topic in amongst itself. Uh, I've said it before, great character, but everything that he touches... Once it becomes a storyline and a match, it it ruins them. Uh, it just it doesn't fit this this program. But if there's one show that makes sense for Bray Wyatt to be on, it's Raw because Raw sucks. So, continuing on, uh, Randy Orton stays on Raw. Braun Strowman comes over from SmackDown. Uh, he's been making some appearances on Raw recently, which is kind of, I guess, makes more sense there. Matt Riddle making an interesting jump. I kind of liked him more on SmackDown. Uh, they weren't really using him well. Uh, he he came up a couple of months ago and pretty much spent his entire time feuding with Corbin. And now here he is. So we're going to uh, try and give him, I guess, a fresh coat of paint, if you will. Uh, Jeff Hardy moves over from SmackDown. Keith Lee, who has already fallen to the wayside. I don't know what the hell they're doing with this guy, but he's already an afterthought. I don't I don't even believe he was on the show last night. Uh, Ricochet uh, staying on Raw. Elias made his return last night. Back as a heel, Elias. Uh, and he will be on the Raw brand. Uh, Sheamus making the move from SmackDown. Angel Garza, who apparently is not as hurt as we thought he was just two weeks ago. Uh, Humberto Carrillo, nobody gives a shit. He'll continue to lose every single match he's in. Uh, Drew Gulak makes the move from SmackDown. Uh, Tucker, in an interesting one, they have now split up the heavy machinery team. They uh, explained last night that that was apparently the Miz's doing, just like he split up him and... Uh, him, uh, him being Otis and Mandy, and put Mandy on a different show. Uh, Dabakato, who we've seen in Raw Underground a handful of times, and then got beat in two minutes by uh, Braun Strowman. Titus O'Neil, who we haven't seen do anything recently, except a couple of appearances in Raw Underground, stays on Monday Night Raw. Akira Tozawa stays on Monday Night Raw. Riddick Moss. Another guy who we've only really seen in Raw Underground and a very, very quick stint as the 24-7 champion. Uh, Arturo Ruas. I don't know who he is. All the pictures they've shown are from uh, Underground. So this guy has... Who knows if this guy even has an entrance theme. But he got drafted to Raw. More on that. And Eric of the Viking Raiders. So uh, I guess they're keeping off uh, Ivar because he's going to be out for several months. But Eric's the type of character I don't know what you really do with. Because the Viking Raiders are, they've always been a tag team. Whether they were War Machine, anywhere in the co country, uh, that's just what, what they've been. And Eric is the smaller of the two, so I don't really know what you do with him. You don't want to obviously put him in singles just to bury him either, so 
They got to have to tread lightly with that one. Um, on the women's side, Asuka stays the Raw Women's Champion. Charlotte Flair gets drafted, all despite the fact that you know she's not coming back for a while. Uh, Naomi doesn't. Uh, Naomi moves from SmackDown. Alexa Bliss gets moved from SmackDown, so she, who has been paired with the Fiend, uh, she is now mo- making the move over to Raw. Lacey Evans comes over from SmackDown. Nikki Cross comes over from SmackDown. Peyton Royce co- uh, stays on Raw as well as Lana. For the men, the New Day, the SmackDown Tag Team Champions. Well, when they were drafted, they were the SmackDown Tag Team Champions. Uh, And that only consists of Kofi Kingston and Xavier Woods. Yes, they have actually split up the New Day team, which I'm okay with at this point. Uh, I feel that the Big E run was something that should have happened a long time ago, but I feel that this is an opportunity for them to let Biggie try and get over. Now, if you watch SmackDown and we'll talk about it, they've the first match on SmackDown was a, was a street fight falls count anywhere with Sheamus and Biggie and Biggie took a lot of bumps, bled. So did Sheamus. And he proved that he could put on a damn good match. So I think they're going to roll the dice and try and give Big E his opportunity on his own. And the best way to do that is to have him on a completely different show. Now, Booker T has said in the past that the only way for him to take Big E seriously as a single is for uh, him to completely get away from the New Day garb. He has to change his his tights, his look, his music, and everything that he does. We know that he's entertaining. He can be a funny guy, but he needs to change his whole edge in order for someone like Booker T, a Hall of Famer, uh, to take him seriously. So we'll see what ends up uh, happening there. But I did find it interesting uh, that they did the split. And it's just like anything else. If it doesn't work, you know that you can always put these guys back together. And it's one of those things just like... uh, I heard Bully Ray talking about this on Busted Open. Just like when a band changes a member because they're not getting along. What ends up happening when things don't work out with the other guy? You put the original back together and they're bigger than ever because the love and the demand is there. So that's something that I'm okay with. Continuing on, like I said, the entire Hurt business stays over there. They moved The Miz and John Morrison. I was kind of hoping that they would split these guys up. I was upset when they first brought Morrison back and put him with The Miz. That was when they were turning Miz heel and... Morrison's just walked back in after having a, a a crazy independent run for eight years where he was pretty much the champion of every promotion he was in, uh, did his own movies, and he walks back into WWE into a gimmick that he had been a part of, I believe, six or seven years prior to him even leaving in the first place. So I'm not too much of a fan of that. Raw signed all of Retribution. Yes, a group that is only here, and here being the WWE, to destroy whatever show they're on, gets signed. I mean, it would have made so much more sense if they didn't get signed to anyone, because why would any show want a group that destroys their show? Let them go back to both shows and start ruining them again. The whole deal was they got contracts. 
And they moved uh, the Lucha House Party. I believe that... I'm trying to look here. Um, yes, they only brought over Lince Dorado and uh, uh, Grand Metalik of the Lucha House Party uh, to the Raw brand. And women's uh, tag team-wise, you have Shayna Baszler and Nia Jax. The, the tag team champions are drafted, and they both stay on Raw. They were already on Raw. And Mandy Rose and Dana Brooke, who were recently moved to Raw a week ago. Now, this is Power Bonds and Potables, and I have a beer that I have yet to crack open. So, cheers. All right. Currently drinking a Cane uh, Sea Dream. It's an Imperial uh, IPA. Cool looking can. Ooh. 8.2. And uh, this was given to me, actually donated from uh, from from Dan. And he told me to uh, make sure that I try that. So here we are, live on the pod, cracking it, drinking it, and having a good time. Continuing on with the, um, the draft here, SmackDown ends up getting uh, th- their number one draft pick is obviously their champion. Roman Reigns, the universal champion, stays on SmackDown. I'm all for it. Uh, Sami Zayn, the Intercontinental Champion, stays over there. So, you figured that out. The U.S. Championship and the WWE Championship stayed on its show. And now the Universal Champion and the Intercontinental have both stayed on those, their shows. That's fine. Seth Rollins moves over from Raw. And when they first made the announcement of Seth Rollins, you're like, okay, maybe they're going to get away from this whole Dominic Rey Mysterio thing. Well, you're wrong. <laughs> You're definitely wrong because Dominic and Rey Mysterio were both drafted over to the SmackDown brand as well. So they're basically just shifting that entire storyline to Friday nights, which is kind of annoying to me because if there's one thing that I've noticed in the last several months since I've been doing this podcast, that SmackDown's kind of an enjoyable show most weeks. Uh, I feel they've been giving a lot more it's a lot more sports based if you will which is kind of back to what i said when i was kind of upset that they were moving matt riddle is he fit in really well with that uh and the fiend was like the outlier of what didn't make sense but now that he's on raw that kind of has now corrected itself but um daniel bryan's staying on raw uh but to finish the i i lost my my train of thought there but the Seth Rollins, Dominic Mysterio, uh, Rey Mysterio thing is just, it is more entertainment than sports-based, and it's taken up a lot of time on Raw, and I don't feel that it has room on SmackDown, especially room to grow. I mean, the, the, the storyline didn't have room to grow after, you know, they took out Rey Mysterio's eye two different fucking times, but I digress. Uh, continuing on, like I said, Daniel Bryan uh, stays on the SmackDown brand. Kevin Owens makes the move from Raw to SmackDown. I'm assuming you're going to get a Kevin Owens heel turn. Uh, now that he's back on SmackDown, give him a fresh coat of paint. Uh, Sami Zayn's on SmackDown. It only makes sense. They never did a breakup between the two. And it gives Sami um, uh, something else to do, I guess. Hold on, let me quick drink, drink a swig of beer. Dear Lord. They draft Jay Uso, who's obviously going to be facing Roman Reigns in uh, two weeks at the Hell in a Cell. 
which is now actually a I Quit match. So a hat on a hat in a hell in a cell. Like I said earlier, Big E gets drafted to SmackDown. Alistair Black making the move over from Monday Night Raw, which is interesting because I guess you can continue the Alistair Black-Kevin Owens storyline as well. But eventually, like I said, I feel you're going to get a Kevin Owens heel turn. Or they could just drop it all together. Um, Apollo Crews makes the jump over from uh, Raw to SmackDown, which leaves, like I said earlier, Ricochet over on Raw. We'll talk about that. Uh, later on about where I think that's going to end up going. And it only makes sense at this point. Uh, Otis, now by himself, he is still your Money in the Bank winner. And they're backed into a fucking corner with this guy. Uh, You know, he was really over when he had the girl. But now it's just, it's gotten too hokey for me. Like, they've, they've completely had to 180. Last week he was supposed to be going to court with The Miz. And then they moved The Miz and Morrison, so then they delayed the trial. (laughs) this storyline this storyline was Miz Morrison Tucker Otis and Mandy the only one left on Smackdown is Otis like is this their way of trying to get out of the storyline to just take everybody and put them on another show apparently Otis is a Vince project and Vince is a big big fan of Otis and I'm not saying that I'm I I enjoy Otis he's entertaining he's not going to be the world champion uh, which is kind of what confused me. I mean, at this point, Tucker's Tucker's dead. The entertainment value in that team was Otis. So we'll see what they end up doing with Otis. But, I mean, Rikishi was never a main eventer. Rikishi was loved as part of Too Cool in the team. He was a mid-carder at best, had a couple of main events here and there when you needed him. The second they broke him and turned him heel and put him against Austin... It didn't work. So what do they do? They just put the team back together. Just how it works. Uh, Almost done here. Uh, Murphy now moves over as well. So like I said, they transfer that entire Dominic, Aaliyah, Ray, Seth thing. It's all over on SmackDown now, which is horrible. I feel bad for myself because I have to watch SmackDown now. Uh, Kalisto, I already said. Uh, Lars Sullivan who made his return last Friday night on SmackDown. Dear Lord, when are they going to take the hit and just get rid of this guy? King Corbin stays on SmackDown, and Shorty G stays on SmackDown. For the women, uh, Bayley gets uh, staying on the show. She's the champion. Sasha Banks, which kind of you know surprised me. I kind of thought that they were going to um, move Sasha to Raw to get her away from Bayley. Uh, so that Sasha could win the Rumble and then challenge Bailey at WrestleMania to really separate them uh, after the split. Obviously, that didn't happen. Uh, Bianca Belair moves over. So that was she. She they made the move with Bianca on Friday night. So you kind of were expecting come Monday night uh, that the Street Profits would get moved over to SmackDown, and they do. We'll talk about that in a minute. Carmella. Stays on SmackDown. Natalia comes over from Raw. Billy Kay comes over from Raw. Billy Kay's another one that's just like Peyton. Now they've fully moved her away. So you'll see her either jobbing or uh, no longer employed very soon. Tamina stays. Well, she moves from Raw to SmackDown. And Zelina Vega 
moves over to SmackDown. For the tag teams, the Street Profits, the Raw Tag Team Champions, uh, when they got drafted, uh, are now on SmackDown. Cesaro and Shinsuke stay on SmackDown. Dolph Ziggler and Robert Roode move from Raw to SmackDown. Uh, and that's it for the tag teams. And uh, for women's tag teams, they moved the Riot Squad, Liv Morgan and Ruby Riot over. And an interesting thing. So here are the people that were in pools. They were loaded. They were told that they were going to be drafted and never were drafted. That is Andrade and Mickey James. The Mickey James thing kind of seems suspect after last week when they didn't even have her uh, slated to be in a pool and then she went on social media and then they left her out of this one. So it seems like they might be doing something with that. For Andrade, I don't know. They broke up. They, uh, Zelina walked away from her and Angel a couple of weeks back and then last night on Raw, Zelina uh, went in to, I guess, check on Andrade after he got beat really quick and, and clean by Angel Garza. So I'm intrigued to see what they do uh, going there. Now, the rest of what I'm going to say are the people who were not in any particular draft pool, but yet are still actually under contract with WWE. Becky Lynch, obviously, out with the pregnancy. Jimmy Uso out with uh, an injury. Ivar with an injury. Sonya Deville out with the legal stuff that she's dealing with uh, after a couple of weeks ago. Uh, Edge out with injury. Jinder Mahal out with injury. Samoa Joe uh, they've been keeping him on the announced desk. Mojo Rawley, well, he's going to stay there until Gronk retires again and comes back. The Forgotten Sons, who have been off TV since uh, one of them was making a bunch of uh, political statements that he shouldn't have on social media, and they got a lot of heat ski for that. Uh, Bo Dallas, who I didn't even know was still employed. The Big Show, John Cena, Goldberg, who still has two more matches left in his contract, Ronda Rousey, and The Undertaker, who The Undertaker said he's fucking uh, retired. Anyway, quick sip of beer. So now that we broke down the rosters, I'm going to talk about some of the things that... Uh, I already talked about the retribution angle, but... So they, they decided to switch the tag team champions. So the New Day, who is now going to just consist of Kofi Kingston and Xavier Woods... They made their return this past Friday night on SmackDown and then challenged Shinsuke Nakamura and Cesaro to a SmackDown tag team title match in which they won. And then they were immediately drafted to Raw afterwards. And then, like I said last night, the Street Profits were drafted to SmackDown. So how are we going to do this? The red, the red brand has the blue belts and the blue brand has the red belts. So, hmm... Someone who makes a lot more money than I do decided, here's a great idea. Why don't we just have them hand off the titles to the other team of the show that they're on? Um, hold on. If I'm not, you know, wrong here, they made sure to really drive home that if a team or a person is drafted that has a title, it goes with them to the other show. So now why are we completely going back on what we did and just saying, oh, JK, uh, how about you just hand these over? Which 
for what it's worth, goes to show more than ever that these are just looked at, these being the titles, are just looked at as fucking props. There's no relevance to them. There's no meaning behind them. If this fact that the Street Profits, who have been the Raw Tag Team Champions now since, what, February? Just, uh, they just hand over their belts for these blue belts that a team won four nights prior. It's it's ridiculous. Like, I would have been fine with them doing the rule with, like, the women's champions. Do something like that. Well, as long as the Street Profits are the Raw Tag Team Champions, they can show up on Raw until they lose the belts, vice versa with the New Day. You get a little cross-promotion. Once they lose them, they go back to their show. It's the same thing they do with the women's tag team titles. They can go whatever show they want to whenever they need it, obviously, because they make an appearance on NXT once every six months. Uh, but I wasn't too big uh, a fan of of that. Now, uh, let me look at my notes here. And there was something else that really kind of stuck out like a sore thumb that I wanted to discuss. So, yeah, I was thinking about so the Hurt business. They've really been kind of leaving them as like an open-ended team. Like, with the way that they handle themselves and the things that they do. Sorry for hitting the microphone. They are traditional heels. But they have been the only force that has stood up and tried to defend Raw against Retribution. Which would clearly make them the babyface heroes of Raw. Now, a couple of weeks back... They were feuding, they being the Hurt Business. At the time, it was only uh, Shelton, Bobby Lashley, and MVP, and they were feuding with Ricochet, uh, Cedric Alexander, and Apollo. So now, Cedric Alexander turns on them, joins their Hurt Business, which leaves you with Apollo and Ricochet. Now, last night, Apollo gets drafted to SmackDown, which leaves Ricochet, and he walks up to the Hurt Business and says, I want to you know, bury the beat, the hatchet with you guys. One more match. If you guys beat me, I'll join the hurt business. If I, if I win, then you guys pretty much have to leave me alone. He pulled some Eddie Guerrero, the classic, you know, refs, not looking, smash the chair, tosses it to Cedric and lays down. Cedric gets disqualified. Ricochet wins. Something tells me that still at this point, they have nothing for Ricochet. And it would really help Ricochet out, in my opinion, to be with the Hurt Business. At this point, you can do Hurt Business versus Retribution at Survivor Series. That's coming up in a month. Uh, Do a five-on-five, despite the fact that uh, they need another guy or two in Retribution. Now, if you recall, originally Retribution was Shane Thorne, uh, Dominic Dijakovic, Mia Yim, uh, Dio Madden, and Mercedes Martinez. Well, they have since removed Mercedes Martinez, it seems, and revealed last week, that was another one, they brought back uh, Ali, and Ali is now the quote-unquote leader, for now, of Retribution. Some people who are smarter do believe that, you know, there is a higher leader that they haven't talked about yet. But for now, the only one that we have at the surface is Ali. Now, the interesting thing is Ali's never been known to be a good promo. Neither has Dominic Dijakovic, but I digress. 
But Ali is at least pretty sound in the ring, and it gives him a fresh coat of paint by being the young guy who you wouldn't have expected to turn heel, turn heel. But now you're looking at uh, Dijakovic, Shane Thorne, Dio Madden, and, and Ali. So you need one more member at least to do that, or you're going to do four on four. But uh, Survivor Series has always been five on five. I'm a traditionalist. Let's go for the five on five. Uh, but it only makes sense, in my opinion, for uh, Ricochet to join the Hurt Business for not only the reasons that I already talked about, but look at it this way. Since he's been in the company, he's had a lot of, for a long time, he was being used quite often. And then there was the Saudi Arabia show. Remember that one? Yeah, the one where they built up to a title match with him and Brock, and Brock literally destroyed him. And ever since then, he shows up on TV once every couple of weeks. So I don't like Ricochet being on his own, especially now that he doesn't even have any allies left. Just if you can't beat him, join him. Go with the Hurt Business. It can only help him uh, continue to improve. Um, enough WWE for now. We're going to talk about a couple of things that I did find, uh, interesting from this past week. So quick, this past, uh, weekend, a lot of the independent shows that were supposed to have happened WrestleMania weekend happened. Uh, a lot of them were on fight TV. If you're interested in that, uh, you can check them out. The main one was Josh Barnett's blood sport. Now I did not watch this card. However, the main event uh, featured John Moxley, who is, yes, your AEW World's champion. Now, the thing that I found the most interesting about this is not only, yeah, Moxley won and uh, won in a submission because the blood sport matches can only end in submission or knockout. They are worked shoot fights. So essentially, they are raw underground. All the matches are in a, you know, square ring with no ropes. Only tap out or knockout are the ways that you can win these matches. And I found it interesting because, you know, you look at Moxley and he was a beloved guy. He went to the Indies. Everybody thought he was going to, well, he didn't go to the Indies. He left WWE. Everybody thought he was going to do an indie tour. And then he just right away signed with AEW. Now he's done stuff with New Japan. He is still technically the IWGP US champion, obviously. He can't go over to Japan to defend the belt, so they haven't been doing anything. When Cody Rhodes was asked today on an interview, he let it be known, and this is the first time I've heard this, is he claims that every single wrestler in AEW that is currently under contract uh, does not have any restriction from working in any other company. I'm assuming WWE's off the the table. Um, but I know that the, the door is, is open to a lot of things. I know that Tony Khan is open to certain things like, um, when FTR was talking about working with the North from impact, they got to try and figure that one out. Impact obviously has some, uh, looseness right now with EC three going to work for ring of honor while under contract with, with, uh, impact but i feel that the more the better the more that you can start doing some of this uh interpromotional stuff from different companies it gives you fresh matchups 
Of course, like I've said before, I've talked about this, the biggest issue with that, and this was the issue in the territory days in the 80s, is sure, everybody's all for everybody working together, but then each company wants their guy, of course, to go over because they don't want their company to quote unquote look weak. And that was always the problem where the stuff went south in in the 80s. Now, here I feel that you have a lot of potential. Look at look at a team like the Good Brothers. The problem is, if you bring a team like the Good Brothers in to AEW just to do you know a little feud, I feel it's going to want people wanting more. And you can't imagine that you'd bring a team like the Good Brothers in to AEW for a one-off and have them win. So that's kind of where the problem is. Why would you bring the, the the Good Brothers in, have them lose, and then be like, oh, well, you want to see more of them, go watch Impact Wrestling. The smart thing is to have them go into AEW. This is just all hypothetical. Have them go into AEW and win. And then have them go back to Impact. And then you got to bring in whatever team, FTR or whatnot, into Impact. Do a little talent exchange. Do some of the stuff on their pay-per-views. Do some of the... Like, this is... They've said that this is, you know, a great time for wrestling. It's really exciting, but you got to do things like that to keep the interest up, keep fans wanting to watch the different shows. Speaking of AEW, we're just going to keep things going with AEW. This past week was the 30 years of Chris Jericho show, and um, it was interesting. It was interesting to say the least. Um, the Two matches that I want to talk about on it. Obviously, the dog collar match between Cody and Brody Lee for the TNT title. A couple things that I thought were interesting. One, this match was not technically the last match or what most people would refer to as the main event of the show. This split the 8 and 9 o'clock hour, this match. Uh, I guess you were trying to get the, the turnover viewer. That's fine. I guess it made sense there. Uh, but compared... To what the actual main event of the show was, just for some laughs, I think that that was foolish on AEW's part. And I'll just say that. I'm going to take a quick little drink of beer. I found it really respectful. The AEW had Greg the Hammer Valentine in the audience for that. Now, Greg the Hammer Valentine's not like, you look at the Hardy Boys and they're always like, ah, they're the innovators of the TLC match, and that's what they've been tied to because they've had quite a few of them in their career. Greg the Hammer, Greg the Hammer Valentine had one dog collar match, but being that it was the first nationally exposed one, and it was on such a high-profile event, the first Starcade, 1983 against Rowdy Roddy Piper, it's what really... It was... It was the first of its kind that was able to be seen on a national, you know, basis. And it was bloody, and you could still watch it even now on the network. That match just lives on. Unfortunately, when you bring a guy like Greg Hammer, Greg the Hammer Valentine into the WWF the next year, 1984, uh, sure, he had his run uh, where he became the Intercontinental Champion, um, and he loses it to Tito Santana in the cage. Uh, 
He then ends up part of the tag team champions with Brutus Beefcake as the dream team. Brutus, uh, they turn on Brutus at WrestleMania 3. He's with Dino Bravo. Then he's just a single. And they put him back with Honky Tonk Man. My point is, is that after a year or two, after he had that dog collar match, he was just a glorified singles guy that you knew the name. He had credibility, so you wouldn't be surprised if he won a match, but you also weren't shocked if he lost a match. There was nothing special about Greg Valentine at that point. But you can still look back at his career and say that probably one of the biggest peaks on a national level was that dog collar match at Starcade 83. He was in the crowd. They showed him several times uh, and him just watching the match. And it was it gave it a, a real fight feel. And this match did just that. Now, you know, I... Right out of the gate, I believe it was Alex Reynolds got knocked off the ring when Brody moved out of the way and Cody hit him with the chain and he came up like two minutes later with like the smallest cut ever. Uh, I guess nobody really taught him how to blade before. He was scared to and it took him a while to actually get some uh, stuff. Um, Take aspirin. You know, Ric Flair's only been saying it for years. Um, Cody and, and Brody did some crazy stuff. They did a spot where did a pile driver through a table. Uh, they were doing the wrap, the wrapping of the chain around the eyes. Um, they brought out all the, you know, they did everything they could with this match. And the biggest thing that I said that I was kind of afraid of was Brody's best stuff so far has been since he became the, the TNT champion. And, Right away, they've taken it back and put it on Cody. So, clearly this was just because Cody was going to be going to film his show for a couple weeks, and they did one of the belt presents still on there, so let's make a story out of it. But now, what does that do for Brody Lee? Let's be real now. Brody Lee has won every match he's been in, for the most part, ex- singles, except for, you know, that world title match against John Moxley. He comes back, destroys Cody in three minutes, and then loses to Cody in a dog collar match. So he's got two losses. One of them was a title that he lost and only defended, what, two or three times, if that, and a world title match. So, um, again, I feel like they have to do a better job protecting some of these guys that are their bigger guys, the monsters, the ones that have credibility. If you If you were to look at someone like Brody Lee, you're like, that's a professional wrestler right there. He's big. He's got a unique look. He's intimidating. That's what you think of when you think of a professional wrestler. Um, But in the end, Cody wins this. He cuts a promo afterwards that basically seems like he was hinting towards people thought he was going to be turning heel. But he's not going anywhere, which I mean, sure, ultimate babyface promo. But that's always the thing that you can use to turn him even more. He says he's always going to be there for the fans. He's never going to turn his back on the fans. Whoa, what a dickhead if he actually turns his back on the fans eventually. So it leaves the door open there for that. And the other thing that I want to talk about from this show, the actual main event, because it was the 30 years of Jericho, it was Chris Jericho and Jake Hager against Jericho's old buddy, Dr. Luther and Serpentico Chaos Project. 
this was bad. Like, like really bad. And uh, it really had no place being on national TV. The best part of the match was after the match when MJF comes out with Wardlow and a clown under a uh, blanket. He takes it off. The clown has a gift for Jericho. He unwraps it, and it is a giant 24 by 36 framed picture of MJF. He then smashes it over the clown's head, who no-sells it, and then he hits him with the stiffest-looking Judas effect on the face of the earth, and the clown goes down. They tease again that Jericho and MJF are going to fight because Jericho says that he hates clowns, and then they laugh it off. And then everybody comes into the ring, and by that everybody, I mean all of the heels. They all come into the ring, and the credits roll. There were credits on this show, and everybody, up and including the eight cameramen, were all credited as Chris Jericho. So you have this emotional, bloody, dog collar match on TV. Split your show just for a laugh at the end of the show. With Jericho. I'm sorry, but uh, that that's stupid to me. This week, and by this week I mean tomorrow night, Wednesday night, you're going to get the actual one-year anniversary of AEW Dynamite. So that's pretty cool. Um, if you ask me, I'm excited for that. The... Uh, all the titles tomorrow night are going to be on the line. Best friends are going to be going up against FTR for the AEW World Tag Team titles. And there is no time limit on this match. So that's an interesting thing they've already set forth for tomorrow night. Uh, we also have the um, women's title. Big Swole is going to be challenging Hikaru Shida for the women's title. The AEW world title, obviously, is going to be the return of Lance Archer. He's going to be taking on John Moxley for the title. Uh, we have the TNT title, which is Cody defending against Orange Cassidy all tomorrow night on Dynamite. So, real quick, trying to run over a couple of other things. Uh, with... Uh, Impact Wrestling. So this past week, they had Rohit Raju, who is the current X Division champion. He um, came out and basically did an open challenge, but he was not taking on anybody except somebody that he's never faced before. Jordan Grace accepts this challenge. Now, they do a shit spot where... Jordan, Gray, Jordan Grace quick rolls him up and wins the match, but then they say that the title was never on the line, which is fair because he never said it was a title defense. He said he wanted to face somebody he had never faced before. So now they have booked for Bound for Glory in just a couple of weeks. A six-man match for the uh, X Division title. It's going to be Rahit Raju... And he's going to be taking on Chris Bay, TJP, Trey Miguel, Willie Mack, and Jordan Grace. Now, I don't have the issue, really, 
I'm not a fan of intergender matches, but sometimes you can make it believable. Jordan Grace, without a shadow of a doubt, is the baddest bitch that they have there. But I feel that they're going to rope themselves into the same shit that they did with Tessa Blanchard. However, the thing is this, is right now, Jordan Grace is somebody that they've really pushed to the moon. Obviously, they wanted to get the belt off her to get it onto Deanna Perrazzo, somebody they felt that they had a lot of, uh, you know, uh, stock in, that they just got her fresh off of the WWE run, and she's got a lot of momentum, and that was the good thing. But they want to keep her hot and on TV, so what they do is they put her in a match like this. So this can go one of two ways. One... The fact that there's six guys in this match, you bring her in a couple times to do a couple of power spots, a couple of hay spots, and it's, you know, fine. I'm okay with that because I can extend my disbelief a little bit for a couple of spots here and there. If it was a one-on-one match, that's where I kind of really have an issue with it because I'm sorry, that kind of discredits your champion. Raheet Raju's pretty good. And I'm not saying Jordan Grace isn't good, but they have two completely different styles. The women wrestle a different style than the men do, for what it's worth. And I'm sorry. You cannot make me believe that if a guy that is in good of shape as Raheet Raju hits a chick like Jordan Grace, that she's just going to magically pop up. I'm sorry. That's not a sexist thing. That's a, you know, me, you know, expanding my disbelief only to a certain point of, of reality. I mean, I certainly wouldn't hit a woman. I don't condone it. So why am I okay with not only this guy hitting this chick, but her trying to make me believe that, you know, she could, you know, beat his ass. Fine. Put her in this six-man match. Don't have her win. I personally would like to see Raheet Raju retain the title uh, going forward because there's nobody else really in that match that I could see uh, coming out of it. And that's, uh, that's that. For, um, I guess the only other thing I wanted to discuss was NXT from this past week. And NXT uh, is in pretty rough shape. You have Kyle O'Reilly and Finn Balor both coming out of that uh, NXT 31 pay-per-view last weekend. Finn Balor had a broken jaw in two different places. He just had surgery yesterday. They had to wire him shut, uh, remove a tooth that was part of where the the tooth I believe got jammed down and cracked his jaw something crazy like that so he's gonna be out for a little bit Kyle O'Reilly is out with a quote-unquote undisclosed injury concussion and and that pay-per-view went off the air with Ridge Holland who looks a lot like Pat McAfee destroying Adam Cole so this week Adam Cole naturally says that he is going to do whatever he can to get his hands on Ridge Holland, who Ridge Holland has a match with Danny Birch. He runs over him. And then only Lorkin, who is Birch's partner, comes out and makes the save. Now, what ends up happening is they do a skirmish where Ridge Holland beats up on one and throws him back in the ring. And then the other one dives to the outside. And he does the same thing over and over again about three times. Until eventually one time, I forget which one. I want to say it was uh, only Lorkin. Dove over the top rope. Holland catches him and his knee and ankle just completely buckle under him. If you thought Dak Prescott this past Sunday and that break was something, this was bad to watch too. And a man that looks like that screaming the way he did. 
he's easily going to be out for a year and a half, two years, if he could even come back to professional wrestling. So now you have Adam Cole. You you ruined the end of your pay-per-view to get a new uh, feud over that is never going to actually see the light of day. You hate to say it. But it happened. Ember Moon returned on this show and cut the worst promo I've ever seen in my life. Her and Rhea Ripley beat up on Raquel Gonzalez and... Um, what the hell is her name? Oh, yeah, her name is Dakota Kai. I don't think they have anything with for Dakota Kai right now. Kind of uh, kind of sad. But NXT was kind of a disappointment this past week. And as of now, I don't think they have anything necessarily planned for this coming week's show, which is interesting because usually they like to uh, get a jump start on anything that NXT does and really try and make sure that you're not watching their show. But I guess that's not going to be the case this coming week. Uh, NXT has, for, for every one good week that NXT has, they have like three or four bad weeks. And right now, unfortunately, we're in one of the bad weeks. But I will say this. As negative as I was about some of these draft choices back on WWE, ideally in a perfect world, we're only two weeks out from a pay-per-view. You get to that pay-per-view and you reset. Just start with a reset and try and fix and right some of this ship that you've already kind of messed up. The Thunderdome contract with the Amway Center was supposed to be up October 31st. The WWE has extended it another four weeks. In other arena slash stadium related news, the state of Florida, known as the Wild Wild West, has now lifted all bans on stadium capacity. So as of now, WrestleMania 37 could have 80,000 people in a stadium if they wanted to. You know where I'm going to be watching? Right from my couch. Because that is the only place that is safe. So... That's the podcast. We'll talk to you next week. Until then, stay safe and stay over.